Day after tomorrow, day after tomorrow, said old man Shaw, rubbing his long slender hands together gleefully. I have to keep saying it over and over so as to really believe it. It seems far too good to be true that I am to have blossom again. And everything is ready. Yes, I think everything is ready, except a bit of cooking. And won't this orchard be a surprise to her? I'm just going to bring her out here as soon as I can, never saying a word. I'll fetch her through the spruce lane. And when we come to the end of the path, I'll step back, casual-like, and let her go out from under the trees alone, never suspecting. It will be worth ten times the trouble to see her big brown eyes open wide and hear her say, Oh, Daddy, why, Daddy? He rubbed his hands again and laughed softly to himself. He was a tall, bent old man whose hair was snow-white, but whose face was fresh and rosy. His eyes were a boy's eyes, large, blue, and merry, and his mouth had never got over a youthful trick of smiling at any provocation, and, oft-times, at no provocation at all. To be sure, White Sands people would not have given you the most favorable opinion in the world of old man Shaw. First and foremost, they would have told you that he was shiftless, and had let his bit of a farm run out while he pottered with flowers and bugs, or rambled aimlessly about in the woods, or read books along the shore. Perhaps it was true. But the old farm yielded him a living, and further than that old man Shaw had no ambition. He was as blithe as a pilgrim on a pathway climbing to the west. He had learned the rare secret that you must take happiness when you find it, that there is no use in marking the place and coming back to it at a more convenient season, because it will not be there then. And it is very easy to be happy if you know, as old man Shaw most thoroughly knew, how to find pleasure in little things. He enjoyed life. He had always enjoyed life, and helped others to enjoy it. Consequently, his life was a success, whatever White Sands people might think of it. What if he had not improved his farm? There are some people to whom life will never be anything more than a kitchen garden, and there are others to whom it will always be a royal palace with domes and minarets of rainbow fancy. The orchard of which he was so proud was as yet little more than the substance of things hoped for, a flourishing plantation of young trees which would amount to something later on. Old man Shaw's house was on the crest of a bare sunny hill, with a few staunch old firs and spruces behind it, the only trees that could resist the full sweep of the winds that blew bitterly up from the sea at times. Fruit trees would never grow near it, and this had been a great grief to Sarah. Oh, Daddy, if we could just have an orchard! she had been wont to say wistfully, 
when other farmhouses in white sands were smothered whitely in apple-bloom, and when she had gone away, and her father had nothing to look forward to save her return, he was determined she should find an orchard when she came back. Over the southward hill, warmly sheltered by spruce woods and sloping to the sunshine, was a little field so fertile that all the slack management of a lifetime had not availed to exhaust it. Here old man Shaw set out his orchard, and saw it flourish, watching and tending it, until he came to know each tree as a child, and loved it. His neighbors laughed at him, and said that the fruit of an orchard so far away from the house would all be stolen. But as yet there was no fruit, and when the time came for bearing, there would be enough and to spare. Blossom and me will get all we want, and the boys can have the rest if they want em, worse than they want a good conscience, said that unworldly, unbusinesslike old man Shaw. On his way back home from his darling orchard, he found a rare fern in the woods, and dug it up for Sarah. She had loved ferns. He planted it at the shady, sheltered side of the house, and then sat down on the old bench by the garden gate to read her last letter, the letter that was only a note, because she was coming home soon. He knew every word of it by heart, but that did not spoil the pleasure of rereading it every half-hour. Old man Shaw had not married until late in life, and had, so White Sands people said, selected a wife with his usual judgment, which, being interpreted, meant no judgment at all. Otherwise he would never have married Sarah Glover, a mere slip of a girl with big brown eyes like a frightened wood-creature's, and the delicate fleeting bloom of a spring mayflower. The last woman in the world for a farmer's wife. No strength to get up about her. Neither could White Sands folk understand what on earth Sarah Glover had married him for. Well, the full crop, the only one that never failed. Old Man Shaw. He was Old Man Shaw even then, although he was only forty, and his girl bride had troubled themselves not at all about White Sands' opinions. They had one year of perfect happiness, which is always worth living for even if the rest of life be a dreary pilgrimage. And then old man Shaw found himself alone again, except for little Blossom. She was christened Sarah, after her dead mother, but she was always Blossom to her father, the precious little Blossom whose plucking had cost the mother her life. Sarah Glover's people, especially a wealthy aunt in Montreal, had wanted to take the child. But old man Shaw grew almost fierce over the suggestion. He would give his baby to no one. A woman was hired to look after the house, but it was the father who cared for the baby and the main. He was as tender and faithful and deft as a woman. Sarah never missed a mother's care, and she grew up into a creature of life and light and beauty, a constant delight to all who knew her. She had a way of embroidering life with stars. 
she was dowered with all the charming characteristics of both parents, with a resilient vitality and activity which had pertained to neither of them. When she was ten years old, she had packed all hirelings off, and kept house for her father, for six delightful years, years in which they were father and daughter, brother and sister, and chums. Sarah never went to school, but her father saw to her education after a fashion of his own. When their work was done, they lived in the woods and fields, in the little garden they had made on the sheltered side of the house, or on the shore, where sunshine and storm were to them equally lovely and beloved. Never was comradeship more perfect, or more wholly satisfactory. Just wrapped up in each other said White Sands folk, half enviously, half disapprovingly. When Sarah was sixteen, Mrs. Adair, the wealthy aunt aforesaid, pounced down on White Sands in a glamour of fashion and culture and outer-worldliness. She bombarded old man Shaw with such arguments that he had to succumb. It was a shame that a girl like Sarah should grow up in a place like White Sands. With no advantages and no education, said Mrs. Adair scornfully, not understanding that wisdom and knowledge are two entirely different things. At least let me give my dear sister's child what I would have given my own daughter if I had had one, she pleaded tearfully. Let me take her with me and send her to a good school for a few years. Then, if she wishes... She may come back to you, of course. Privately, Mrs. Adair did not for a moment believe that Sarah would want to come back to White Sands and her queer old father after three years of the life she would give her. Old man Shaw yielded, influenced thereto not at all by Mrs. Adair's readily flowing tears, but greatly by his conviction that justice to Sarah demanded it. Sarah herself did not want to go. She protested and pleaded. But her father, having become convinced that it was best for her to go, was inexorable. Everything, even her own feelings, must give way to that. But she was to come back to him without let or hindrance when her schooling was done. It was only on having this most clearly understood that Sarah would consent to go at all. Her last words, called back to her father through her tears, as she and her aunt drove down the lane, were, I'll be back, Daddy. In three years I'll be back. Don't cry, but just look forward to that. He had looked forward to it through the three long, lonely years that followed, in all of which he never saw his darling. Half a continent was between them, and Mrs. Adair had vetoed vacation visits, under some specious pretense. But every week brought its letter from Sarah. Old Man Shaw had every one of them tied up with one of her old blue hair ribbons, and kept in her mother's little rosewood workbox in the parlor. He spent every Sunday afternoon rereading them, with her photograph before him. He lived alone, refusing to be pestered with kind help, but he kept the house in beautiful order. A better housekeeper than farmer, 
said White Sands people. He would have nothing altered. When Sarah came back, she was not to be hurt by changes. It never occurred to him that she might be changed herself. And now those three interminable years were gone, and Sarah was coming home. She wrote him nothing of her aunt's pleadings and reproaches and ready, futile tears. She wrote only that she would graduate in June and start for home a week later. Thenceforth, old man Shaw went about in a state of beatitude, making ready for her homecoming. As he sat on the bench in the sunshine, with the blue sea sparkling and crinkling down at the foot of the green slope, he reflected with satisfaction that all was in perfect order. There was nothing left to do save count the hours until that beautiful longed-for day after tomorrow. He gave himself over to a reverie, as sweet as a daydream in a haunted valley. The red roses were out in bloom. Sarah had always loved those red roses. They were as vivid as herself, with all her own fullness of life and joy of living. And besides these, a miracle had happened in old man Shaw's garden. In one corner was a rose-bush which had never bloomed, despite all the coaxing they had given it. The sulky rose-bush, Sarah had been wont to call it. Lo, this summer had flung the hoarded sweetness of years into plentiful white blossoms like shallow ivory cups with a haunting spicy fragrance. It was in honor of Sarah's homecoming, so old man Shaw liked to fancy. All things, even the sulky rose-bush, knew she was coming back, and were making glad because of it. He was gloating over Sarah's letter, when Mrs. Peter Blewett came. She told him she had run up to see how he was getting on, and if he wanted anything seen to before Sarah came. Nope. Thank you, ma'am. Everything is attended to. I couldn't let anyone else prepare for Blossom. Only to think, ma'am, she'll be home the day after tomorrow. I am just filled clear through, body, soul, and spirit, with joy to think of having my little Blossom at home again. Mrs. Blewett smiled sourly. When Mrs. Blewett smiled, it foretokened trouble and wise people had learned to have sudden business elsewhere before the smile could be translated into words. But old man Shaw had never learned to be wise where Mrs. Blewett was concerned. Although she had been his nearest neighbor for years, and had pestered his life out with advice and neighborly turns. Mrs. Blewett was one with whom life had gone awry. The effect on her was to render happiness to other people a personal insult. She resented old man Shaw's beaming delight in his daughter's return, and she considered it her duty to rub the bloom off straightway. "'Do you think Sarah'll be contented in White Sands now?' she asked. Old man Shaw looked slightly bewildered. "'Of course she'll be contented,' he said slowly. Isn't it her home? And ain't I here? Mrs. Bluett smiled again, with double-distilled contempt for such simplicity. 
"'Well, it's a good thing you're so sure of it, I suppose. "'If twas my daughter that was coming back to White Sands "'after three years of fashionable life among rich, stylish folks, "'and at a swell school, I wouldn't have a minute's peace of mind. "'I'd know perfectly well that she'd look down on everything here "'and be discontented and miserable.' "'Your daughter might,' said old man Shaw, "'with more sarcasm than he had supposed he had possessed. "'But Blossom won't.' Mrs. Bluett shrugged her sharp shoulders. "'Maybe not. It's to be hoped not, for both your sakes, I'm sure. But I'd be worried if twas me. Sarie's been living among fine folks and having a gay, exciting time, and it stands to reason she'll think White Sands fearful, lonesome, and dull. Look at Loretta Bradley. She was up at Boston for just a month last winter, and she's never been able to endure White Sands since.' "'Loretta Bradley and Sarah Shaw are two different people said sarah's father trying to smile and your house too pursued mrs bluett ruthlessly it's such a queer little old place what'll she think of it after her aunts i've heard tell mrs adair lives in a perfect palace i'll just warn you kindly that sarah'll probably look down on you and you might as well be prepared for it of course i suppose she kind of thinks she has to come back seeing she promised you so solemn she would but i'm certain she doesn't want to and i don't blame her either even mrs bluett had to stop for breath and old man shaw found his opportunity he had listened dazed and shrinking as if she were dealing him physical blows but now a swift change swept over him his blue eyes flashed ominously straight into mrs bluett's straggling ferrety gray orbs if you are said you say martha blewett you can go he said passionately i am not going to listen to another such word take yourself out of my sight and your malicious tongue out of my hearing mrs blewett went too dumbfounded by such an unheard-of outburst in mild old man shaw to say a word of defence or attack when she had gone old man shaw the fire all faded from his eyes, sank back on his bench. His delight was dead. His heart was full of pain and bitterness. Martha Blewett was a warped and ill-natured woman, but he feared there was altogether too much truth in what she said. Why had he never thought of it before? Of course White Sands would seem dull and lonely to Blossom. Of course the little gray house where she was born would seem a poor abode after the splendors of her aunt's home. Old man Shaw walked through his garden and looked at everything with new eyes. How poor and simple everything was! How sagging and weather-beaten the old house! He went in, and upstairs to Sarah's room. It was neat and clean, just as she had left it three years ago but it was small and dark. The ceiling was discolored, the furniture old-fashioned and shabby. She would think it a poor, mean place. Even the orchard over the hill brought him no comfort now. Blossom would not care for orchards. She would be ashamed of her stupid old father and the barren farm. She would hate white sands and chafe at the dull existence and looked down on everything that went to make up his uneventful life. Old man Shaw was unhappy enough that night 
to have satisfied even Mrs. Blewett, had she known. He thaw himself as he thought White Sands folk must see him, a poor, shiftless, foolish old man, who had only one thing in the world worth while, his little girl, and had not been of enough account to keep her. Oh, Blossom, Blossom, he said, and when he spoke her name, it sounded as if he spoke the name of one dead. After a little the worst sting passed away. He refused to believe long that Blossom would be ashamed of him. He knew she would not. Three years could not so alter her loyal nature. No, nor ten times three years. But she would be changed. She would have grown away from him in those three busy, brilliant years. His companionship could no longer satisfy her. How simple and childish he had been to expect it. She would be sweet and kind. Blossom could never be anything else. She would not show open discontent or dissatisfaction. She would not be like Loretta Bradley. But it would be there, and he would divine it, and it would break his heart. Mrs. Blewett was right. When he had given Blossom up, he should not have made a half-hearted thing of his sacrifice. He should not have bound her to come back to him. He walked about in his little garden until late at night, under the stars, with the sea crooning and calling to him down the slope. When he finally went to bed, he did not sleep, but lay until morning, with tear-wet eyes and despair in his heart. All the forenoon he went about his usual daily work absently. Frequently he fell into long reveries, standing motionless wherever he happened to be, and looking dully before him. Only once did he show any animation. When he saw Mrs. Blewett coming up the lane, he darted into the house, locked the door, and listened to her knocking in grim silence. After she had gone, he went out and found a plate of fresh doughnuts, covered with a napkin, placed on the bench at the door. Mrs. Blewett meant to indicate thus that she bore him no malice for her curt dismissal the day before. Possibly her conscience gave her some twinges also. But her doughnuts could not minister to the mind she had diseased. Old Man Shaw took them up, carried them to the pig-pen, and fed them to the pigs. It was the first spiteful thing he had done in his life, and he felt a most immoral satisfaction in it. In mid-afternoon he went out to the garden, finding the new loneliness of the little house unbearable. The old bench was warm in the sunshine. Old man Shaw sat down with a long sigh, and dropped his white head wearily on his breast. He had decided what he must do. He would tell Blossom that she might go back to her aunt, and never mind about him, he would do very well by himself, and he did not blame her in the least. He was still sitting broodingly there, when a girl came up the lane. She was tall and straight, and walked with a kind of uplift in her motion, as if it would be rather easier to fly than not. She was dark, with a rich dusky sort of darkness, 
suggestive of the bloom on purple plums or the glow of deep red apples among bronze leaves her big brown eyes lingered on everything in sight and little gurgles of sound now and again came through her parted lips as if inarticulate joy were thus expressing itself at the garden gate she saw the bent figure on the old bench and the next minute she was flying along the rose walk daddy she called daddy old man shaw stood up in hasty bewilderment then a pair of girlish arms were about his neck and a pair of warm red lips were on his girlish eyes full of love were looking up into his and a never-forgotten voice tingling with laughter and tears blended into one delicious chord was crying oh daddy is it really you oh i can't tell you how good it is to see you again old man shaw held her tightly in a silence of amazement and joy too deep for wonder why this was his blossom the very blossom who had gone away three years ago a little taller a little more womanly but his own dear blossom and no stranger there was a new heaven and a new earth for him in the realization oh baby blossom he murmured little baby blossom sarah rubbed her cheek against the faded coat sleeve daddy darling this moment makes up for everything doesn't it but but where did you come from he asked his senses beginning to struggle out of their bewilderment of surprise i didn't expect you till tomorrow you didn't have to walk from the station did you and you're all daddy not there to welcome you sarah laughed swung herself back by the tips of her fingers and danced around him in the childish fashion of long ago i found i could make an earlier connection with the cpa yesterday and get to the island last night i was in such a fever to get home that i jumped at the chance of course i walked from the station it's only two miles and every step was a benediction my trunks are over there We'll go after them tomorrow, Daddy, but just now I want to go straight to every one of the dear old nooks and spots at once. You must get something to eat first, he urged fondly. And there ain't much in the house, I'm afraid. I'm going to bake tomorrow morning, but I guess I can forage you out something, darling. He was sorely repentant, having given Mrs. Blewett's doughnuts to the pigs, but Sarah brushed all such considerations aside with a wave of her hand. I don't want anything to eat just now. By and by we'll have a snack, just as we used to get up for ourselves whenever we felt hungry. Don't you remember how scandalized White Sands folks used to be at our irregular hours? I'm hungry, but it's soul hunger, for a glimpse of all the dear old rooms and places. Come, there are four hours yet before sunset, and I want to cram into them all I've missed out of these three years. Let us begin right here with the garden. Oh, Daddy, by what witchcraft have you coaxed that silky rose bush into bloom? No witchcraft at all. It just bloomed because you were coming home, baby, said her father. They had a glorious afternoon of it, those two children. They explored the garden and then the house. Sarah danced through every room, and then up to her own, 
holding fast to her father's hand. Oh, it's lovely to see my little room again, Daddy. I'm sure all my old hopes and dreams are waiting for me here. She ran to the window and threw it open, leaning out. Daddy, there's no view in the world so beautiful as that curve of sea between the headlands. I've looked at magnificent scenery, and then I'd shut my eyes and conjure up that picture. Oh, listen to the wind keening in the trees. How I've longed for that music! He took her to the orchard and followed out his crafty plan of surprise perfectly. She rewarded him by doing exactly what he had dreamed of her doing, clapping her hands and crying out, Oh, Daddy! Why, Daddy! They finished up with the shore, and then at sunset they came back and sat down on the old garden bench. Before them a sea of splendor, burning like a great jewel, stretched to the gateways of the west. The long headlands on either side were darkly purple, and the sun left behind him a vast cloudless arc of fiery daffodil and elusive rose. Back over the orchard in a cool green sky glimmered a crystal planet, and the night poured over them a clear wine of dew from her airy chalice. The spruces were rejoicing in the wind, and even the battered firs were singing of the sea. Old memories trooped into their hearts like shining spirits. "'Baby Blossom,' said old man Shaw falteringly, are you quite sure you'll be contented here, out there? With a vague sweep of his hand toward horizons that shut out a world far removed from white sands. There is pleasure and excitement and all that. Won't you miss it? Won't you get tired of your old father and white sands? Sarah patted his hand gently. The world out there is a good place, she said thoughtfully. I've had three splendid years, and I hope they'll enrich my whole life. There are wonderful things out there to see and learn, fine, noble people to meet, beautiful deeds to admire, but— She wound her arm about his neck and laid her cheek against his. There is no daddy. And old man Shaw looked silently at the sunset, or rather through the sunset, to still grander and more radiant splendors beyond of which the things seen were only the pale reflections not worthy of attention from those who had the gift of further sight.